0: two words, meeple, rooster. Welcome to Cardboard and Wine, episode 16. I'm Mamie.
1: And I'm Josh.
0: Grab a glass, pull up a chair, and let's talk about some games.
1: Today on the show, we discuss another wine-themed game. Stay tuned as we ferment our thoughts on viticulture. Does that even make sense?
0: So, greetings from North Carolina, where we are currently battening down all the hatches. Is that the right phrase?
1: Yeah, our hatches are not quite battened, but we are starting to think about it. Hurricane Florence is bearing down on us.
0: Yeah, it's now Monday evening, and we're expecting landfall probably sometime Thursday afternoon, and they're they're calling for some potential bad stuff.
1: Yeah, a pretty serious-looking storm as of right now. It's about 1,000 miles away from us out in the ocean, but strengthened to a Category 4 and looking to make landfall about 150 miles from our house.
0: Yeah, I saw a really funny uh, meme today that has all the hurricane predictions, and there's like one little line out where it stays out and continues up in the ocean, and it said like, we're rooting for you, little gray line. So there's a chance that it won't come here.
1: Yeah, I would love if that's the correct one, but not looking likely that that's the case.
0: Maybe we'll get some time off of work and we can stay home and play a couple games.
1: That's true. My university has already canceled uh, three days ahead. They're uh, uh, telling everybody to leave, but we will not be. Although just our listeners know we are not um, right on the the coastline, but uh, it could be uh, pretty nasty weather here. But the podcast must go on.
0: That's right. The podcast must go on.
1: And so we sit here talking about games, drinking some wine.
0: Yeah, so, uh, yeah, this wine, spoiler alert, I sort of think this week's wine choice might reflect my feelings about this week's game.
1: Oh, is it, is it woody? Uh,
0: no. Cardboardy. We'll see, no, no. We'll see if you can figure out why. Um, it is a red, this is the 2016 Scarlet Path Old Vine Zin.
1: Oh, I like Zin.
0: Yeah, what do you think?
1: Um, this one's pretty tasty. Uh, it's it's very balanced, I feel like. It's sort of smooth, has a good flavor. Yes. Yeah, so, I dig it.
0: Yeah, this is from the Lodi region in California. And I learned something interesting, as I often do when I was researching this wine. Uh, Lodi is in lots of ways kind of the home of Zinfandel. But, you know, the really expensive Zins come from Napa and Sonoma, which we've been to and tasted some of those. But these Zins out of the Lodi region are often really affordable and very complex, and the Zinfandel grape was actually kind of preserved in the Lodi region during Prohibition by the Catholic Church. Why? Well, the Church was allowed to give growers exemption if they were producing wine for communion. Oh, yeah,
1: that's important.
0: Yeah, so they needed communion wine, and so the Zinfandel um, growers were given exemption and allowed to produce uh, Zinfandel wines for communion. And it turns out the Catholic Church was pretty lenient in its exemptions. In their
1: definition of communion. (laughs)
0: Exactly. They produced far more exemptions than were possibly needed for church functions. Uh, And the state authorities kind of, you know, it's California, they kind of looked the other way. And because of that, the Zinfandel grape and Zinfandel wines have been able to sort of survive and thrive in that region.
1: Well, I want to say this. I grew up in the Lutheran Church, which has some liturgical similarities to the Catholic Church as far as we are a a church that did communion with real wine.
0: Does this taste like your communion wine? (laughs) I was going to say, I know
1: for a fact, we did not use Old Vine Zinfandel (laughs) for our wine. Uh, I actually remember once when I was... Of age to purchase alcohol, um, I had to go out and buy the wine for the service,
0: and it came off the bottom shelf,
1: the very bottom shelf. Yeah, yeah it was uh,
0: manischewitz,
1: uh, maybe, but not zinfandel. <laughs> <laughs> that is for sure. But yeah, this is good, Mamie. Thanks for picking this one up.
0: Okay, so here's the question: Can you guess where this wine came from and what the price point is?
1: Well, I think it came from the Lodi region of California. Well,
0: I mean, where we got it.
1: I'm going to guess, knowing you, a grocery store. Yes. Uh, and since you're asking me the price point, I assume that means it is a fairly inexpensive bottle of wine.
0: So this is from Aldi.
1: I didn't know you shopped at Aldi. I usually am the Aldi shopper.
0: It is an exclusive from Aldi, and it's $7.99.
1: I'd say it's worth $7.99. Yeah, for it's, sure.
0: it's really good for $7.99.
1: This is better than some of the other $7.99 swill that you've brought to me.
0: (laughs) That's true.
1: I want to say to Mamie, I just, this is ironic, because the hurricane's coming, I texted you from the grocery store, which I braved the super long (laughs) lines today, and I asked you if we needed anything, and the only thing you responded was...
0: Wine. Wine. In all caps, with an emoji.
1: And uh, <laughs> unlike you, I did not well, – actually, I didn't want to get out of the line that I had been in for 20 minutes at that point to go get wine. Uh, but I did go to our favorite local wine shop, which is right down from the grocery store, that had no line. And just randomly, I picked up a Cabernet Sauvignon from Lodi.
0: Oh, interesting. We'll have to try that yeah. one soon.
1: Yeah. All right, Mamie. Well, we're not here to just talk about wine. We are also here to talk about board games Uh, but before we do i wanted to remind our listeners that we are on patreon and so if you would like to support the show you can visit patreon.com slash cardboard and wine or click the become a patron button on our website and we'll send you one of our cool cardboard and wine buttons
0: yep click the button get a button and we can buy more than eight dollar wine
1: we can. We could buy $9 wine. That's right. But I did want to say, if you want another chance to get a button, and something even more valuable than that button, we are doing an Instagram giveaway to celebrate 1,000 followers. Whoop, whoop. Oh, and I want to say, maybe I have some great news to share with you and our listeners. Our giveaway has a sponsor.
0: Oh, awesome.
1: Yeah, we will be giving away a $25 gift certificate to Cool Stuff, Inc.,
0: That's fabulous. Thank you, Cool Stuff, Inc.
1: I know. Lord knows we have spent enough money on Cool Stuff, Inc. That's (laughs) for sure. That is really our go-to board game shopping destination. But here's how you enter the contest. So what you have to do, two things. One, follow us on Instagram. We are at Cardboard and Wine. And number two is to do what you're already doing, and that is listen to the podcast. And what we will do... Is later this week, I will be posting how to enter the contest, but it will entail listening to this episode and the previous episode on Venus and answering a very simple question about those two episodes. If you correctly answer the clue, we will randomly choose a winner. The only thing I'm sad about is I wish that I could enter.
0: That's true. We could use a $25 Cool Stuff gift <laughs> certificate.
1: We could. All right. So, Mamie, one of, one of the things we started doing in our last episode was sharing a memorable gaming moment of the week. So, uh, what was yours?
0: Well, I think my most memorable moment from the last couple weeks was playing Antiquity. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So, oh, that
1: warms my heart.
0: Well, you know, it's memorable. I didn't say it was my favorite. I'm just kidding. It no, was, was really true. fun. So we started uh, a game of antiquity Labor Day weekend, um, but it was kind of late at night and we had to get ready to go out of town. And so we kind of hit pause and went out of town, spent like 30 hours with family, and then came back and continued the game. And I'm still not 100% sure how I feel about the game, but it was definitely an experience. You know, it's it's hard to say it's fun. You know, when you're playing something where you constantly have to pollute the earth and build graves for your citizens.
1: True, <laughs> true. We we could do a list of your top five favorite pollution and grave digging games.
0: I, I think this is the only one I know of.
1: Yeah, I think so too.
0: But it was engaging, even if it wasn't fun. It was, it was, it was just the two of us playing, and it was a good time.
1: Yeah, uh, we should we should mention too for those not familiar antiquity. Is, Misery Tetris Or Misery Tetris as it's been <laughs> called Is a splotter game uh, From the Splotter Spelling folks Best known lately for Food Chain Magnate But this was one of their earlier titles From 2004 And yeah it's an experience It's certainly an experience I find it very fascinating I think it's one of the few games Where you feel like less than competing Against the other players You're just competing against the game
0: <laughs> Yeah you're trying to survive Which again it's not exactly fun But it's it is engaging, and it's kind of... Amazing? No. Um, intriguing. Yeah, it is intriguing, and it definitely, you know, makes your brain work.
1: Would you play it again?
0: Yeah, I would play again. I definitely enjoyed playing the two-player version. It would be interesting to play with more people. It is a little bit Misery Tetris, but I don't know. It's, it's kind of an interesting.
1: Misery in a good way.
0: Yeah, good misery.
1: Yeah. Well... Well, my game of the week that I have really been enjoying is Zolkin, the Mayan Calendar. Uh, this is one I think we mentioned before on the show that we had played, but um, I've had a, got a chance to play it a couple of times since our last episode, including with a couple of the folks from our game group who played for the first time uh, the other evening, and really just an enjoyable experience. The more I play that game, um, you know, similar to Antiquity in some ways, it's one of those games that. It takes several plays to wrap your brain around it. Uh, And I'll mention too, we're going to talk about a worker placement game today, Viticulture. Uh, Zolka in the Mind Calendar, also a worker placement game, but very unlike other worker placement games in that all of the actions you can take surround these gears, these wheels. And as you complete a round of the game, you turn the center gear, which moves your pawns to action spaces further around the, the gear that they're on. So, so there's beyond the element of just where do I want to place my worker? You also have this element of time and investment where you're thinking, well, I don't necessarily want this action where I'm placing my worker right now, But I need to time it so that when I pull my worker off, that's the action I get after the gear has moved a certain number of times. Really, really fascinating. Uh, And really kind of this extra layer of thought and planning that goes into it beyond a normal worker placement game.
0: And less misery.
1: You know, Amy, I'm glad you like this one because this is another game where you have to feed your workers just like Agricola.
0: It is, but it's not such a tight economy. It's really fun. I've really enjoyed Zulkin as well.
1: Yeah, no, it's really great, unlike any game I've played, and I also appreciate that instead of money, the currency in the game is corn.
0: Which is appropriate, thematically. I
1: know, it's pretty cool. All right, Mamie, well, why don't we jump into our game of the week, Viticulture. (music) Viticulture is a worker placement game about winemaking. Each player allocates workers over a series of seasons to build structures, hire workers, plant vines, harvest grapes, and ultimately produce wine to fulfill wine orders, which are worth victory points. At its core, Viticulture is a race game, with players attempting to build the best wine-producing engine in order to be the first to obtain 20 victory points, or 25 with the Tuscany Expansion.
0: This is a game that you came back from our local con, our, the Who's Turn convention, and said, we need this game. I wasn't there when you played it, though.
1: Yeah, this was a game that was a little bit unique for us in that it was a game that that we purchased and and was certainly drawn to this game because... You know, it's a beautiful, it's wine theme, (laughs) Uh, and it's just a gorgeous game, and it's highly regarded. You know, it's a top, easily within the top fifty on Board Game Geek. So I purchased it, but we didn't play it for months.
0: Oh, that's right, we had it here before you ever went to whose turn and played it.
1: Yeah, in fact, you know when I'd registered for the con a few folks had signed up to do teaching games. There were these scheduled teaching games and I saw viticulture was one of them. So I jumped at the chance to be part of that teaching game because for some reason I had just never been motivated to pull it off the shelf, learn it and play it, which was really unusual. I don't know why that is, Um, but I played it whose turn a six player game actually, and had a great time. Uh, One thing, about that play, though, is the owner of the game, the the gentleman who taught the game, played with his own copy, and he had the Essential Edition with the Tuscany Expansion. So that's what we played. Um, I, I didn't necessarily know that that's what we were playing, but we had all of the expansion modules from the Tuscany Expansion, the Special Workers, the Orange Buildings, uh, the Tuscany Board, and also the Metal Coins. And that play actually ruined me for Metal Coins because... I certainly was of the opinion before that gameplay that metal coins were a complete waste of money, but then I played with those metal coins, and I was like, this is pretty nice, so now what's the first thing I do when I play a game that I like?
0: You order the metal coins. I get the metal coins. There's something about that clink. I'm with you. I love the metal coins.
1: It's great. Um, I will say, though, Amy, uh, I came home from whose turn, and you and I did not get a chance to play it together there, but very quickly, I think that same weekend, I was like, let's break this out. Let me teach you Viticulture. And I was very surprised to see the board that I had in my game of Viticulture Essential Edition was very different than the Tuscany board we had played with um, at whose Turn. I was like, where are the orange buildings? Where are the special workers? Where are the stars? And why is there only two seasons? Where's all the actions? So that's where I realized that um, there was an Essential Edition, and then the Tuscany expansion actually added a completely different board and, and really a fairly different game.
0: Yeah, I will say that since that first play, we haven't played it without the expansion until the other day. I'd kind of forgotten what the base game, the Essential Game, was. But in preparation for the podcast, we decided to go back and play just the base game. And honestly, it was really kind of lackluster you know, it was missing the two seasons and it was missing those special workers and the stars. I mean, it was really kind of a boring game without them. I can't imagine we'll play without the expansion again.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, and so so this review, our listeners should know that for the most part, we're describing our experiences playing Tuscany because as you mentioned the vast majority of our plays have been with the Tuscany expansion. And I would almost say that if you're going to pick up Viticulture, the Tuscany expansion should be an auto-buy with it. Unless, and we'll talk more about this, unless you're you're very new to strategy board games and worker placement games. But otherwise, I think the Tuscany expansion certainly breathes a lot of life into the game.
0: Definitely. I Yeah.
1: So, Mamie, Let's let's just jump into um, our more detailed thoughts. What do you what do you think about the components of viticulture?
0: Two words, meeple rooster. I love the meeple rooster.
1: That would be like a, a meester or a mooster. Mm,
0: I'm not sure, but the the game actually comes with an assortment of you know different shaped buildings and meeples that represent different things. In the expansion, you have, along with your regular workers, you have a, two specialized workers, a little man and a little woman. And this meeple rooster uh, is kind of your turn keeper, if you will. And he's just super cute. And then there's different little buildings that are in the different shapes of you know, maybe irrigation or maybe um, a cellar where you're going to store your wine. They're all wood and they're painted in really pretty colors. The other components in this, there are decks of mini cards, which I know how you feel about mini cards.
1: Not a mini card guy, not typically, and not in this case.
0: But those are the cards that have your grape varietals and the different visitors and wine orders. And then Some special buildings that come with that expansion. And then there are two decks of cards representing the mama and the papa. And those you use just at the very beginning of the game. They kind of provide your starting conditions. I will say one of the really beautiful components of this game is the board. The color palette is really pleasing and it's really thematic. And it's divided into four regions representing the four different seasons. And they're really clearly delineated and the colors that are used there are just really beautiful.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, Stonemire Games does a really great job with the production quality and the components. Uh, we also own and have played Scythe, uh, which is another beautiful game. But, uh, you know, this game right there up with it. It looks great uh, on the table. There are tons of wooden components like you talked about. And I agree. I love the color palette of this game. It just, I think it very much fits with our aesthetic that we enjoy. It's not jarring at all. Uh, It looks amazing on the table. The only thing that makes it look even better is if you have an actual glass of wine sitting on the table with it.
0: I will say the one little gripe I have with the components is that a few of the, the meeples, for the buildings are really similar. It's very hard to tell the difference between, like, the small cellar and the large cellar and the... Oh,
1: the tasting room.
0: Tasting room. Those those three are all... Very similar in their design, but other than that, you know they're they're great little components.
1: Yeah, and I think in practice we just they each have their own little space on the board. So when we build one, we just kind of set one of those three. Yeah, in the it space. doesn't really matter. Uh, but I do agree. You know they were so creative in coming up with all these different shapes. They could have probably come up with something a little more unique for. They're like those three, three <laughs>
0: barns that all have a different size opening, a
1: different width opening of this like five millimeter right <laughs> building. No, that's true. Uh, I'll say, too, there's a lot of cards in the game, too. They're all mini cards. You know, I guess I get it. You know, they all have a space. I, I do enjoy they all have their delineated space on the board where you put not only the stack of cards, but the discard pile, too. I certainly appreciate that, where games with cards have a place on the board for those cards. I love that. Maybe the board would have had to been too big with regular size cards, but just going to go ahead and say my default. I don't like mini cards, but I will say the insert of this box, really nice. Everything has a space. Some of the ways that the components fit in there, it's a little hard to get them out. They're kind of deep, but as I've said, I love organizing games, and this is not a game that I needed to purchase additional organizing paraphernalia. Uh, the insert, as is, was pretty great.
0: And even the expansion fits in the base box.
1: Oh, yeah, and I love that, by the way. Uh, when an expansion, especially like we've mentioned this Tuscany expansion, so integral, so critical, we would never play without it. So much better where you don't have to break out two boxes, but it all fits in one box. Big, big plus there.
0: All right, Josh, so let's talk a little bit about gameplay.
1: So this is a worker placement game, and I typically really like worker placement games. And I guess like a typical Euro-style game that's worker placement, there's not a lot of player interaction besides potentially blocking other players because they wanted the action that you took. Uh, but for the most part, you know, you're know, you building your own little wine estate, and everyone's kind of doing that simultaneously. Um, but But whereas you can, like worker placement games, block other people, this game is a little more of a gentler blocking game than games like Agricola because every player has their own big meeple, uh, which you can always place and can never be blocked.
0: So one way the game scales by player count from two to six players is by allowing one, two, or three spaces for each action. So some of these actions have bonuses for the first player to go there.
1: And, and all those actions that you can take are out on the main board uh, but then each player also has their own player board that represents their their own wine estate. And, and on that, there's room for three sets of vineyards, a crush pad for your grapes, cellars for the wine, uh, and then spots for all those different buildings that you can build to improve your estate in different ways. And certain buildings like the irrigation and the trellis are required before you can grow more valuable grapes. And Like you mentioned, Mamie, there are these different size cellars, cellar upgrades you have to build before you can age more valuable wines.
0: Yeah. And there, you know, as you said, there are a lot of different cards. There are yellow summer visitor cards and blue winter visitor cards. There are a lot of these cards. And typically they're gonna give you some sort of bonus or allow you to take an action kind of outside of a action's normal space. Then there are also the purple wine order cards. And that's where you get the bulk of your points. They range from, I think, two to six points. And if you think about the the game, you know, it's the first to 20 or 25 points. A six-point wine order is huge. Uh, Much of your game will be planting vines, harvesting grapes, and making wine to fulfill those orders. It's really pretty straightforward.
1: Yeah, it is. And and I'm glad you mentioned that because um, there is that variety in the wine order, uh, number of points you get for the wine order. And and you are right. I mean, so in the base game, in the original game, it's a race to 20 points. So this is sort of a a race game, you know, first to to get to 20. Actually, I will say, um, to be a little more specific, it's not exactly first to 20 points wins. Um, Similar, uh, I think this must be one thing that um, Jamie Stegmeier likes in his game design, and, and I actually like, think is cool too, is once a player gets to 20 or 25 points in the testing expansion that player doesn't necessarily win, but that triggers the end game. So that triggers that now this is the last round. And we've we actually seen it happen where a player maybe gets to that 20 or 25 threshold, but then you complete the round. And it is possible that uh, due to some in game scoring or other players finishing their turn, they may actually beat you out.
0: Yeah, you definitely have to be careful before you trigger that end game.
1: Yeah. So what are some of the things you really like about Viticulture?
0: You know, there are lots of things beyond just the wine theme that I like about this game. I mean, I like that it has some complexity, but not so much that it's daunting. I would have to say that my favorite thing about the game probably is the mechanism of the four different seasons. That's kind of a unique element that I haven't seen in any other games.
1: Yeah, I don't know that we necessarily said that, but you know, there are all these actions you can place your workers on, but they're not all available to you all the time, but only the actions of that season.
0: Right. And you have to decide, you know, if you're going to use your worker in the spring or if you're going to save that worker to be used, you know, in the summer or the fall or the winter. Um, And kind of making those choices about whether you're going to pass or you know, on that season and wait until the next season or if you're going to go ahead and play. And and sometimes when you pass can determine future turn order. There's really an element of decision-making there that I really like and I think makes the game really fun.
1: Yeah, one of those things you mentioned is probably one of my favorite parts of the game, and that is that turn order decision that you have to make, especially in the Tuscany expansion. So the way turn order is determined is as the game plays, if you are the first person to pass in that winter season, then you are the one who gets to pick first where on the turn order you will go for the next year. Um, But the thing that's really cool is during the course of the year and those four seasons, each season you get some sort of bonus depending on what spot you occupy on the turn order track. And it could be a certain type of card or it could even be a victory point depending on the row that you choose. And so Going first in this game, being first on the turn order track, certainly gives you an advantage on a worker or, worker placement game. You're gonna be first dibs on on the best spots. Um, however the bonuses get progressively better the farther down the turn order track you get. So it can be really it can be really tempting to To take a spot farther down that track just to get some of those bonuses. And it's a really neat mechanic, and I think it works well and provides some interesting decisions. And, and, you know, games like this that have been fairly creative in the turn order selection part of the game have in some ways made me somewhat dislike games that just do turn order by, all right, determine first player, and then go around the table. <laughs> so uh, I think that part's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it definitely adds something to the game. The other thing that we haven't really talked about is the stars component of the expansion.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's uh, unique to the Tuscany expansion. And we should mention, you know, the Tuscany expansion, it does add these special workers whose roles change from game to game, depending on they're they're randomly chosen. So that adds some variety. These orange special buildings. And then, yeah, you, you're right, Mamie, we haven't even mentioned this other section of the board that's new that has these different regions with stars. And so you can get There are actions on the board where you can um, acquire a star, and every player has up to six stars. And when you place stars on the map in the corner of the board, it's almost like a mini area control or area majority game. So you get some bonuses for placing stars in those regions, but then at the end of the game, uh, you'll actually get some victory points if you have the most stars in those regions. So it adds just another, it's not a huge thing. Like you could ignore it, I guess.
0: And I don't think you could win by focusing just on stars. No,
1: definitely not.
0: But it is an interesting little added component to the game. That's just one more thing, one more level of complexity, and one more decision that you have to make.
1: Yeah, and and I think it's good. I see why they did that. You know why they added something like that and like these special buildings. Because one thing, Mamie, we noticed when we played the base game is you you reach a certain point in the mid to later game. Where you know you've really built all the vineyards you're going to build, you've really been producing wine. You have plenty of money. You kind of run out of things you need to do. Like really, okay, I need to harvest the grapes, make wine, get wine orders, well, and fill you're, them.
0: You're really just waiting to get the right wine orders.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so I think adding these stars, they give you some additional things to focus on and to do, which I think were a necessary addition. Um, and so, so that's a good lead-in, Mamie, to maybe some of the things we don't like as much about the game.
0: You know, it's, it's rare that I actually can come up with many things, but there are a few things about this game that, that bug me. You know, I'm, I'm not a wine expert by any means, but it seems a little bit like this game was designed by somebody who Didn't really research wine production that much, but kind of just imagined what wine production might be like. I mean, there's a a few little things, like you make rosé and sparkling wine by mixing red wine and white wine. And And
1: that is not actually how you do it.
0: uh, No. And then there's this thing where you age your grapes on the crush pad, and I'm pretty sure that's not how that actually works.
1: Yeah, that is kind of a, I understand it's probably a necessary mechanic for the game, but certainly, you know, the idea of aging the wine you put in your cellar and then it gets more valuable makes that a makes lot sense. of sense. But you're right. Also, the grapes you have just still sitting out on your crush pad at the end of the year get better <laughs> by I sitting out all that year. that would be the opposite. <laughs> yeah, that's a little uh, a-thematic, I, I agree. Yeah. And, and we always make fun of that yeah. every time.
0: You know, like I said, I'm not a wine expert, and it it probably doesn't really detract from how the game works, but it just seems kind of I don't know, a little lazy to me. I don't know. I find it a little off putting, just that the theme is not so solidified. Pull, it pulls you a, out of the theme. It little does. Little it pulls me out of the theme a little bit. And I think, especially when we compare it to a game like Vino's, which is so immersed in the theme, and when the theme is so well done.
1: Yeah, and you know, I, I mean, any any board game on a topic is an abstracted version of that topic but but I agree the more the mechanics of the game make sense with the thing you would actually do it helps you to stay in the theme and and I think if I understand you're saying some of the decisions and mechanisms of the game are actually just not correct right thought <laughs> you would do. so so here's my big beef with this game so I've, I have the same problem with this game as I do with games like Ticket to Ride and and I like Ticket to Ride by the way I'm not I'm a fan of Ticket to Ride So as we mentioned, a primary way that you get points is fulfill wine orders, and you get the wine orders by drawing these purple cards. And and sure, you can plan out some of your strategy around what vines to plant based on maybe the initial purple card or two you draw. But later in the game, if you happen to draw a wine order that is valuable, like maybe one of those five or six point cards... And it fits just right with the types of wine that you're already producing or already have on hand. You have a huge advantage. And and to me, that's similar to Ticket to Ride, where towards the end of the game, you've built a ton of trains across the map. And, and what do you do? You take a chance and you draw more tickets in the hopes that you'll hit one that you've Already completed, or you're really, really close to completing. And against equally matched players, this can often be the difference between winning and losing. Mamie, I think you have beat me so many times in Ticket that to Ride. Is, that <laughs> is my
0: primary strategy in Ticket to Ride.
1: Uh, I'm much more gun shy about drawing all the tickets, but you draw all the tickets and it usually works out for you. Um, but, and you know, I really don't mind something like that in a game of the time, investment, and weight of Ticket to Ride. But Viticulture isn't necessarily a short game, especially with four more players. So the amount of luck of the draw with the cards is a little off-putting to me. And maybe, you know, I track the time of time play of all our games. And so our average play time for Viticulture is just shy of two 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 and a half hours. But that includes some of our under an hour plays that just the two of us had. So really with four and five players, it's been, you know, tracking... Two and a half hours or a little bit longer. And to me, that's too long for this game. I think in those instances, it is certainly overstayed its welcome.
0: Yeah, there there definitely have been some plays of this game where we have all sort of built the mechanism and and have the structure in place, and it really is just kind of waiting to get the right cards to reach the final point.
1: Yeah, it's like, let's draw some more purple cards, draw some more purple yeah, cards. Yeah,
0: and it becomes a little drawn out. I agree. I, and, I, I can see that. And,
1: and really, you know, it's not just... Because, you know, you maybe will equally have a nice engine built up where you do have a nice mixture of of white grapes and red grapes. But, you know, but if you draw two, three and four point cards versus drawing one of those five and six point cards, you know, it's going to be really hard to win without getting some of those bigger value cards.
0: Right, especially because you can typically only fill one order, right? So you could only fill that two-point order.
1: Yeah, yeah, filling a six-point, getting to fill a six-point order, you have to actually get a card that's a six-point order. All right, so we've talked a lot about viticulture and in the last episode we talked a lot about Vinios, and so one of the things we we promised to do on the show today was talk briefly about a comparison between the two games because i would say primarily these are the two major wine themed games Vinos and viticulture Um, they're very different games in a lot of ways uh, but i thought we could just take a minute and and talk about our thoughts because we've played both of these quite a bit over the last couple of months
0: yeah, that's that's tough because I really think that despite the fact that they have the same winemaking theme, they're two really different games. I mean, Vinos is definitely heavier; it's more brain bending, but it's also more thematically accurate. It has an element of competition, especially with that wine fair thing, and and sort of a tension that I don't think Viticulture has as much. You know, you talked about that earlier in the. For the most part, in viticulture, you're kind of just building your own engine. There's a little competition for where you place your meeples, but especially with the big meeple, that's kind of mitigated. But Vino's definitely has some more of that competition and scarcity of resources.
1: You know, I want to say, you know, one thing I had not considered until you said that was that in viticulture, the main type of frustration you you often feel playing the game is... I know what action I need to take, but oh shoot, someone else took that action that I needed. Whereas in Vinos, it's much more of a oh man, should I do this thing or that thing or that other thing? You know, it's actually deciding what to do is the the tension and the hard choice. Versus viticulture, you're right, you do kind of know what you need to do. It's whether or not you're going to position yourself to be able to do it before the space gets blocked.
0: Well, and in Vinos, you know, if somebody is in the space that you, need and taking the action you need to take, then, you know, you have to pay them. And so it's deciding if it's worth it. And then, you know, deciding what wines to sell and what to ship and what to take to the wine fair. You know, there's just a lot more going on there, I think. And I mean, it seems fairly obvious to me that, you know, from a kind of game connoisseur standpoint, Vinyos is probably a superior game. But that said, I do really enjoy Viticulture. I mean, there are definitely times when I like something that's not quite so intense and brain-bending. I also like that it's not quite as intimidating to learn. You know, it doesn't take quite as long to explain. There's not quite as many different elements that you have to kind of keep straight. And I, I really, honestly, I think a game like Viticulture, it doesn't give quite as much of an advantage to an experienced player. I feel like in vinos. The players that have played several times and are are familiar with it definitely have a pretty significant advantage over new players. So you know I'm I'm torn. I like things about both of them. I honestly think I'm probably more likely to want to break out viticulture than vinos in most circumstances. But if it's our kind of heavy gaming friends and we want something really meaty, then I would pick vinos.
1: Yeah, no, those are those are really good, really good thoughts and and insights. You know, I like. I like Viticulture and would certainly be willing to play it, especially with three to four players. I'm not sure that I would suggest it if we had five or six players, even though it goes up to six six people, just because of the time, which is kind of too bad because in one regard, it would be super fun to have more intense competition for all those action spaces with the full complement of players. But I know that with six players, it would be pushing a three-hour experience. And in contrast, as you mentioned, Avenios is a much meatier game. However, I was surprised to actually see that our average playtime is slightly less playing Venus than playing Viticulture, even uh, at the full uh, player count of four players. I will say Venus only goes up to four players. Um, the exception to that is our two-player games. Uh, we're able to play either of those games in around an hour, but that's kind of how we get serious and we churn them out when we play, just the two of us.
0: You know, vinos is is a set number of rounds, whereas viticulture you just keep playing, and keep playing until someone reaches that win condition.
1: That is true, um, but Mamie, you know, and our listeners have probably gotten to see this over if they've listened to many of our episodes. But, you know, I prefer heavier strategy games, so I think it's important for everyone to know my personal tastes and and take all of my opinions with a grain of salt. Um, But if it was completely up to me, I would almost always choose Vinyos over Viticulture. The two differences in that would be if I was playing with players who are newer to strategy board games... I certainly wouldn't throw Vino's on them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although sometimes I think we underestimate uh, new players too. You know,
0: I think people who have played, you know, gateway games like Catan or Ticket to Ride, we could definitely break out Viticulture. But I don't. I agree with you. I don't think we would pl- throw Vino's at them.
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, and I would also say, you know, you mentioned our our two player game of just the base game. And, you know, for what it was, I mean, we cranked it out pretty quickly. I think if it was just you and I and we had 45 minutes or so and we wanted to play something a little bit more involved than, like, you know, a King Domino or an Azul even, but we didn't want something super thinky, um, I could see Viticulture being something we might break out from time to time. But, you know, you know, at the end of the day, both of the games involve planting vineyards, producing wine, aging the wine, sending it off in some form or fashion to get victory points. But Vinos has almost no randomness versus, you know, I talked about one of my biggest complaints with Viticulture was the high degree of randomness that really is consequential to the the victory points that you need to win the game. Um, I will say the visitor cards in Viticulture are kind of interesting, but I don't know. To me, it comes back to the fact it just seems a little too random for a game of this length. Um, I will say both are beautifully produced and both look really great on the table but I'm probably likely in the minority opinion here since uh, Viticulture Essential Edition, which is the one we have. Uh, I think it's like around 30 on Board Game Geek. We can't know for sure because Board Game Geek has been down for like 24 hours. I'm kind of going crazy. Yeah, it's a little uh, disappointing. But I mean, it's you know, it's definitely a top 50 game, much higher rated than Vino's. but I don't know. I said in the last episode if Vino's was a car manufacturing game, I'd still enjoy it, but I can't say that for Viticulture.
0: That makes sense.
1: All right, Mamie, so we've talked a lot about this. Um, Last, though, let's just say, when, when would we break out Viticulture?
0: You know, it's definitely not a game for the kids. Do you, you know, maybe you should have to be 21 to play these games. But anyway, this is a game that we would probably save for, you know, at least slightly serious gaming friends. You know, the gateway game folks might be in. But I think, you know, our game group enjoys this game. Yeah, we should try introducing it to some of our friends that are kind of on the border and see what they think.
1: Yeah, I think some of our friends with the theme. I think the theme theme would would draw them in. Because a
0: lot of our friends like wine.
1: A lot of our friends do like wine. You know, and I'll say we had a surprisingly, I had a surprisingly fun time playing just the base game with the two of us. Uh, So I think that could have a place. and, And I agree. I think this could be a really good gateway or next step game for the right people, those friends of yours that you're looking for, you want to have over and do something fun, and maybe they like wine, because I think it's simple enough uh, they could understand it. And, you know, if they love it, it could be really a good introduction into some some heavier games, for sure.
0: Just don't try to play a six-player game, because the link (laughs) will turn them all off to games forever.
1: Yes, they will have a great time for... The first hour. That's true. And then they'll be looking at their watch, (laughs) especially because they might be like way behind. And then, you know. All right, Mamie, we have talked quite a bit about viticulture. So let's give our final thoughts. But first, why don't you remind people about our rating scale?
0: Yes. So on Cardboard and Wine, we use a wine-themed rating scale where one is a empty bottle, sad, disappointing. Two is a two-buck chuck. It might do if you don't have anything else around. Three is like a wine in a box. There are things that I like and things that I don't like. Four is like this nice Aldi Old Vine Zin. It's uh, easy to enjoy regularly. We've poured a glass and we're looking forward to having another one. And five is that big, bold California cab. It's amazing and wonderful and it's going to only get better with age.
1: All right, Mamie, so how does Viticulture fall for you?
0: So I like Viticulture a lot, but I can't quite rate it as high as I did Vinos. I just think that there's some flaws in the design, especially if we're only talking about the base game. But even with the Tuscany expansion, I just think it falls a little bit short. But I do really, really like it. So it's a very high four, a 4.75. Wow.
1: (laughs) That's pretty high., <laughs> uh,
0: you know I it is a really enjoyable game for me. Um, I think I you know, I look forward to playing it. I would play anytime somebody suggested it. I love the theme. I love that it's not too intense. I mean, I think it's a it's a good game. It's just not quite great.
1: Okay, that is fair. Well, as I mentioned, it's a beautiful game, and I love the wine theme. Uh, I certainly had some fun playing it, and the Tuscany expansion really breathed some life into the game, and I would say that is a must-have. You know, it's at, a, at its core, it's a very straightforward worker placement game with some interesting decisions, and I especially like that turn order track. However, the amount of randomness tied to those wine orders and the visitor cards for a game that takes this long, dampens my enthusiasm for playing this game versus other games that take two to two and a half hours. And I'm thinking about Zolkin, which I mentioned earlier, or or Orleon, or even Scythe. You know, I would almost always choose those games for a two to two and a half hour game over this game. It's not a bad or broken game by any stretch, as evidenced by the fact that many people really love this game. I just don't personally love this one. But you know, because of the wine theme and the beautiful production, I will marginally give it a three
0: wow that might be your lowest rating ever
1: i think i gave pandemic legacy a three what is it about me that's like the number two game <laughs> of all time of board game on board game geek you're I don't just know. contrary i guess i am i guess i am uh but you know three things you like things you don't like
0: right no so, nothing wrong with a good slot. i'm gonna three. give it a
1: 3.0 okay all right
0: all right, guys, thanks for listening to Cardboard and Wine. For show notes, links, and other fun info about the games we discuss on the show, you can visit our website at cardboardandwine.com.
1: If you have feedback on the show or suggestions for a future show, you can send us a tweet at board wine, email us at cardboardandwine at gmail.com, check out the games we've been playing on Instagram, and find out details about our upcoming contests at Cardboard and Wine, or jump into our guild on BoardGameGeek.
0: You can also leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you, and we are still a pretty new podcast, and you'll help new listeners find the show.
1: All right, everyone. Until next time, cheers Cheers and happy
0: gaming. gaming.